Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 23, 34 to 39. For this reason, I send you prophets, sages, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, so that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This, you know, the, the, uh, the passages that we have been reading, we have been going through the book of Matthew. And what we do is we just kind of start at the beginning and we go through every story and we go to the end. Uh, we did this with uh, Luke. We've done this with uh, Acts. We've gone into the Old Testament. We've done all this kind of stuff. We like to just kind of put it into context. But the bad part about that is, is that we go through these times when it's just like, man, this is a bummer, you know, just a wow, you know, you're getting yelled at all the time. And lately, that's what's been happening. We just seem to be approaching these scriptures where Jesus is just letting people have it, and he's talking about all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, but it's very, it's very telling for me of the person that Jesus is, uh, the, the characteristics of God is, is important to know that God feels what we feel. God, uh, you know, Christ got sad. Uh, one of the shortest passages in, the, in Scripture is Jesus wept. Um, Jesus got elated, happy, joyous. He also got mad. Uh, the, the thing that we can learn here is that uh, Jesus did not have a poker face. Uh, if he felt it, you knew he felt it. And we can learn something from that. Our, our lives are not all sugar-coated. Wouldn't that be great if they were? Um, I'd be a diabetic. But it's, um, there, there are times in our lives when we have uh, highs and there's times when we have lows. And what we can be encouraged by these passages, and there's more to come, is that we're encouraged to express how we feel. Jesus right now has been in this kind of elongated rant, uh, angry at the religious leaders, because the religious leaders, he feels, has misled uh, the, the Jewish people and misled everybody. And he is here to correct and to set the record straight and to um, shake things up, which he's, he's doing. Uh, you'll notice that we are getting into this point where he's being much more critical and we're also getting closer to the time that he's going to be put on the cross. Uh, this is no coincidence. He's, he's ruffling feathers. He knows that. But she, the motive. We can express our feelings. We can talk about our anger. We can talk about sadness. We can talk about joy, all that stuff. The motive is so, much, is so important. Uh, we see people in our, in our daily lives, that, you know, they, they might cut us off in traffic or something like that, and we think that they're just out to get us. Don't know them, but we think, how dare they? 
we look less at the motive. And one of the things that I want to point out is the motive here is one of my favorite sayings uh, that Jesus has ever said is that I wish I could protect you like a mother hen. Uh, it's one of those times when Jesus refers to himself as a mom. Oftentimes you'll hear people call Jesus, you know, you refer to God as, as he or she, or uh, that's because in Scripture, they, God referred, was referred to many things. And in this case, it's a mother hen caring, the, caring for the, the chicks in a dangerous time. You know, in, in fires, uh, I'm not a farmer, but... Uh, I've heard that if there's a fire on a, on a farm, that it has been found before where a, a, a mother hen will gather all of her chicks and put them under her wings, and she will protect them. And there have been times when they have found a dead hen and underneath the wings, live chicks. And so Jesus is being very adamant about my motive here is truly to protect, to welcome, and to save you. And so, of course, he's going to get mad if somebody's interfering with that. In this case, they are. They, he's talking about their lack of faith. He's saying that I will send prophets to you, and you are going to flog them. You are going to harm them. You are going to kill them. Because that's what you've done to past prophets. People that have been called by God to come and give the message, a messenger from God. And you don't want to hear it. And that's because it's usually a threat to someone's power. It's usually a threat to, to what they are. The, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they were sent to bring God to the world, to explain who God is to the world. And what Jesus is accusing them of is that you've been saturated by the world. Instead of being that person that comes into the community and gives that good news, you've listened to the, the bad parts of the community and you've been sucked into things like power and, and greed. And so when someone tries to bring, someone else tries to bring that message, you, you squash them. The, the prophets that he's talking about are Old Testament prophets, but when he says, I'm going to send you, He's talking about his own disciples. He's, he's talking about the people that are going to be starting that new church, that new Christian church. And religious leaders, Roman leaders, are going to flog them. They're going to crucify them. They're, they're going to not welcome them at all. They're going to do everything that they can to squash this. One of the most famous Christian squashers is a guy named Saul. He made it his, he was part of this group, and he made it his mission to annihilate this Christian faith because this faith did not match his faith. And he set out to do that. And it, it would be much like uh, he got the backing of, of the, the people. He could have soldiers with him. People would be gathered like this, and he would come through the door, and they would arrest everybody. Some might be flogged and beaten. Some might be jailed for a long time, and some might be killed, all for, all for spreading this news. And the reason that they continued to do it, even at the threat of that, is because of their faith. 
their faith. It, it kept them strong, knowing that even in the darkest days of this world, they would, they would hold true to, to who they were. This baffled people like Saul very much, and he continued to try to just fight them. He didn't want to discuss it. He wanted to kill it. And then one time after the, this is after the crucifixion, after Easter, all that kind of stuff, you know, he is on the way to attack more Christians when he is knocked down. And before him, he sees the image of Christ who had been crucified. And Jesus just says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And from then, Saul was blinded, and it took a Christian to come to Saul's house, or the place where Saul was staying, and make him see again. From then on, he changed his name to Paul. He reached out to the Gentiles. He spread the church farther than anybody ever has. And a lot of people would say it's because of Paul's commitment of why we have Christianity today in places like Lincoln, Nebraska. His faith turned around completely. A 180. But sometimes our faith doesn't, doesn't do that. Sometimes we don't have those moments, you know, where we see Jesus before us. Hey, how's it going? You know, we don't, we don't get that moment. When I was a kid, we, um, my family, we, we didn't go to church. Uh, we called ourselves Christians. Um, we would celebrate, you know, Christmas and Easter. But it was one of those things where it was more of a, a contemporary celebration. It wasn't really, no, there wasn't any meat to it. I couldn't really quote you anything. I do remember hearing as a kid that if you did not ask for forgiveness, ask Jesus for forgiveness for every sin, you were going to hell. If you missed a sin, you, you were going to hell. It was that conditional. And I remember being young and just being scared to death about this. I remember thinking, I, I know I've sinned that I've forgotten about. There are things that I've already forgotten about. I can't name them all. So if I don't name them all, if I don't say the magic words, I'm going to be burning for all eternity. You know, for a 10-year-old, that sounds pretty tragic, you know. I was not a daredevil kid. I was scared of everything, you know. I mean, that's just me. I, you know, outside was scary, you know, and everybody was scary. And so the thought of upsetting God, I felt like I'd already started out in a bad way. And so I didn't venture into religion that much. And so I, I didn't have this, this faith. And then um, in my, I think my senior year of high school, I met a girl. <laughs> um, it always ends up that way, doesn't it? It just always. And she was uh, a Christian singer. And so I started to go to some of her shows. And she was, uh, she was she, the churches that she went to were the concerts, you know, they were the, everybody was waving their hands up and, you know, they would, they would talk about how if you had enough faith, you could get whatever you wanted. 
They were talking about how there were people in this world that were out to destroy and threaten our faith, and we were supposed to, to hate them. And the more that I would listen to that, the harder it was for me. It wasn't, you know, I went there with the excitement because you, you, when, you, when you think about jumping into a faith, it's almost like you want that feeling of a rock concert. You want that, that boom feeling. You know, you want that sport. Like when you go to sporting events, you want to feel something. And so you find yourself kind of attracted to the, the preachers that are like, you know, very energetic and they're, they're just, you know, they're yelling at everything and they've got bands to, you know. These preachers even have like musical accompaniment to their sermons. Nothing? <laughs> and something funny started happening. Oh, just get away. If you're not beatboxing, I don't want any part of it. Uh, don't. Um, it was during this time that I, I really was curious about uh, this, this thing, this faith thing, and I, and I started to, uh, to read the Bible. Somebody actually pointed out that the first thing that you should read was the book of Matthew. So I started reading the book of Matthew. And I found that some of the things that I was reading, it wasn't matching the things that I was hearing. There was no uh, materialistic part to it. There, there were no, if you vote for this person. There, weren't, there wasn't any, you, in order to save your faith, you have to hate this person. And so I walked away from it. And I walked away from faith completely. You know, I, I don't know if I would call myself an atheist at this time, but I just didn't have anything to do with it. I, I saw that Christianity was kind of a weird thing where people were just, you know, I never felt the, you know, the waving and the, you know, I never spoke in, in tongues. Um, I stammered. I don't know if that's a thing. If you, the holy stammering, I never heard of that, but... Um, and then when I got into my 20s, I met a girl. <laughs> and she was going to a big church. It wasn't a, uh, one, of the, one of these churches. It was just a large church. So I started going to church again. The girlfriend did not work out. But th yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah. I don't remember any heckling in these churches that I was going to. <laughs> but, but boy, I sure hear it here. Um, <laughs> well, at the time that I was attending this church, I was in radio and I, I was doing stand-up, and so they were starting this, um, what they, they were calling this, the, the younger generation service. It was going to be like on Sunday nights, and it was tailored toward uh, college on up to about 20, I don't know, 25, something like that. They were trying to hone into this, this group. And what they wanted were creative people to help them kind of um, enhance the services because they did a lot of, you know, they, they did do, um, they weren't the, this, but they did do the bells and whistles. There was a lot of uh, video production. There was a lot of uh, lights, you know, um, 
I, I didn't know that churches, you know, because I went so late, I didn't know that, ch that churches just usually did not have smoke machines, but apparently the ones that I did had those. And uh, so I started, I volunteered to, to help him out, and I wrote a, uh, a couple of things for him just um, in passing, but then they wanted me to come to a, a meeting and uh, to, to see if I wanted to really be involved in this. And so I went to this meeting, and I sat down, and I had never spoken to a pastor or anything like that in my life. I, I, it, I, it was, Christians were still over here. I was still over here. You know, I didn't feel like I was, you know, Christian. And in walks, uh, there was a group of people, the, the, the associate pastor that was going to be doing this, but then one of the senior pastors, this church had like nine pastors. I don't know what they were doing, you know, but uh, I, think, I think one of them was just in charge of coffee. That was their job, you know, they just made the coffee and prayed over it, you know, or something. But um, this pastor comes in, one of the senior pastors, and the first thing that he uh, does is he announces that he has a cold and that he's miserable. And for the next hour, he continues to just be the most negative person. He, he's pouting. He's shooting down every idea. He is just hating the world and just being a jerk. And I thought, so that's what pastors are like when they're not in front of people. I got a behind-the-scenes look at this. And I saw some ugliness. And so I stopped going. And I walked away again. I walked away from the church, and I also walked away from the faith. Again, I wouldn't call myself an atheist, but I just was not an active Christian or anything. And I still had it in the back of my head that I had already upset Jesus when I was 10. So, you know... I wasn't perfect like the people that I thought were going to church were. And so my faith was continually fragile. My faith life was really like what the image that you see here. You felt like you're just walking on a tightrope through a storm. And just one slight wind, and you're going to blow this way or, or that way. And it will affect you. And I don't think that I'm the only one in this room that has had a faith story that has felt a little bit rocky at times. If you've never questioned your faith, I'm going to guess you're drunk right now. But <laughs> if you've never questioned it, I, I, I don't know the magic thing that you're doing because I have. And what I found is that my faith was so fragile, so conditional, that it was people that I would interact with, and if they, if they did something that I didn't see as Christian, my faith would, would pummel. Did you notice that it was not Jesus that turned me away from my faith? It was people that turned me away from my faith. People being people. Flawed as we are, imperfect as we are, people. But my faith was so fragile that I was depending on them to give me that faith. And if they fell short, I, I walked away. 
as if I was buying a product off a shelf. Didn't work for me, so I'm going to try something else. It wasn't until years later that I realized that I actually had to put my own faith into practice, that my faith had to become a, a relationship with me and Christ. And that had to have a backbone to it, to when I came across people that were per, not perfect and sometimes jerky and sometimes dishonest, that it would not kill my faith. It was very important that I learned that the, the part of that is an, like an exercise. You know, if you, if you want to stay in shape and all that kind of stuff, you have to exercise. I, I treadmill a lot, and I've mentioned this before. And if I don't do that, I will slide and I'll start to gain weight again. I have to continually keep in practice of the things that I need to do to keep myself healthy physically and healthy spiritually. And that is on me. I have to do that. It doesn't depend on somebody else. Nobody is going to get me in shape by me watching them ride a treadmill. And so I found that there were things that I would put into practice that would help me with that faith. The people that Jesus was addressing 2,000 years ago in this confrontation were people that had lost some faith. And the reason that they had lost some faith is because they did not get it into a practice. They were, remember, they were supposed to be bringing the message of God to the world, but what happened is they were succumbed by the things in the world, and they lost their faith. And so when people like prophets and Jesus would come to them and say, this is the kingdom of God, and all of this kind of stuff has been fulfilled, their first thing is to doubt it. And not only doubt it, but to fear it. And not only fear it, but to fight it. Because their faith had been fallen so much. So, how do we keep our faith? I have a plan. I, <laughs> thank you. This is where a musical stinger would have been just really... <laughs> I call this the three Ps for faith. The first one's prayers. How many, how many people here, uh, just by a show of hands, pray on a regular basis? Do you have like a set time that you pray? Like uh, Alice and I, we, we pray before every meal, we pray at night, and then we both try to add to that during the day and, and pray. Now prayer, when I first started going to that one church, it was told to me that prayer was a, uh, a request it was also a measurement of your own faith because you would ask for something materialistic like a, a new car, you know. And if you didn't get it, it just meant that you didn't have enough faith. It was like this, uh, this game. And it was also like the uh, asking for forgiveness and it was saying the right words, the magical words. And, you know, the prayer was more of a, of a speech. You know, I was intimidated by it because whenever I saw people pray, it looked like they were reciting something from Shakespeare. You know, there was a lot of these and those and thous and thits and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't know what they were saying. But when I found out later that heaven is not something that is far away, Christ's presence is almost like a, just another dimension. Like, you know, it's, it's in a scientific, if we were in a sci-fi, you know, it would be one of those things where the world would shake just a little bit and we'd fall out of it and we would be right there. It's like a doorway. And every time that we pray, 
we're, we're opening that door. Every time that we pray, we're having a conversation. We are listening. We are experiencing the presence of Christ. Every time that we pray, we are developing and growing our personal relationship with Christ. And that can mean anything. That can be requesting something. That could be thanking Christ for things. It could be saying how much you are angry at Christ. It's just that presence. So that's one of them. Ponders. They got to be peas. So, but ponders is increasing our our knowledge. It's it's increasing our wisdom. The Bible is filled with messages about increasing your wisdom in your faith. And we have all these wonderful tools. We have you know this library. It's it's not it's not a book. It's a library. It's a library of historical stories. It's a library of fictional stories. It's a library of poems. It's a library of songs. It's, it's filled with neat stuff in this. In today's world, it would have its own streaming service. Every story would be something. To be able to sit with that word, it was reading that that helped me realize that the first church that I went to was not really a church for me because I was sitting and pondering what that faith was about. Peers. Surrounding myself with other Christians was the most wonderful thing that I had ever done because the one thing that it did is it took them off the pedestal. I found out that they were human. So when a pastor comes in in a bad mood, I've come in in a bad mood. I didn't expect the, the difference from them, but also it was something that could help encourage my faith. When my faith was faltering, it was the people that were around me that could help build that back up. It was people that I could talk to. That, you know, the men's group is so successful because it's peers, it's people getting together, and people of faith. And you guys talk about everything. You know, I mean, you, you talk about faithful stuff, but then you talk about everyday stuff. It's that what keeps our faith growing. Pews. Pews means chairs. I'm talking about church. You know, one, one thing that I never did in my life was thought that church was relevant until I actually started going to a church on a regular basis. Churches where once a week, at least once a week, you gather with other people to worship God. You sing songs, you share coffee and conversation, you have that time where once a week, hopefully, in a healthy church environment, you are recharged, you are remotivated, rechallenged to go out there. Because every time that you go out there, there is something out there that is going to want to rock your faith. So why wouldn't you, at least once a week, spend an hour to try to recharge it? Possibilities. We have to see about the... Shut up. We have to see about... (laughs) We have to think about the possibilities. A lot of us, we don't want to move forward in our faith because we cannot see what is ahead. 
or our own doubts question this weird stuff, this mystery. And sometimes it does take a positive look at faith. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. that said that faith is taking that next step when you cannot see the stairs. That's what it's all about. And in order to take that step, you have to be able to know that there are possibilities beyond what we can understand. Beyond our limits, there is something that is possible. If I delved into this faith, if I started to think about Christ and put Christ in my life, it's possible that my life could change. Pauses. It's important for us to be able to sit and just slow down. We're in an environment and in a world where they continue the next thing faster. Music is faster. Streaming is faster. They say that in, in TV shows, you have to change the camera angle every, uh, what is it, three seconds because you will lose them because our attention span is so slow. Pauses. It's a time that you can reflect. You can reflect on how the day has been for you. You can reflect on where you saw the blessings in your life, where you saw Christ in your life, where Christ might have been in your life that you didn't expect it. You can also reflect on what your next move is. But sometimes we don't get there until we actually take that pause. Patience. None of this happens overnight. We see these images of these, these Paul moments where somebody comes in and suddenly they are entrenched by the Spirit and they are moved and they fall to their face and they quiver and all of this kind of stuff and then they wake up and the next thing is their life is beautiful. I don't know about you, but it doesn't always happen like that. I watch some of those the Christian movies, and, uh, you know, everything, by the time the credits roll, their life is together, they're happy, you know, the, the dog has been found, everybody comes home, you know, grandma's alive again, he's grown hair, you know, it's just all this kind of wonderful stuff here, but sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it does go up and down. My faith truly took years. It was not an overnight thing. It was a year in process. But I've also found that the best soups are the ones that are slow cooked. Yeah, my faith was slow cooked. Smells pretty good. Yeah. And play. Never take your faith so seriously that you lose sight of the gray. We want to think of the world as black and white. But sometimes we have to Lighten up a little bit and see others as not an enemy or a threat, but as something also brought to us by God. And sometimes we only find that when we play. You might notice that there's more than three P's up there. <laughs> the last one, expect the unexpected. 
when life says there's only three ways to have your faith, know that there's more. See, that was planned. I left a P out? Really? Perform? Performs? Performs. Performs. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. This. Yeah. Right. Yes. You could, you could train a cockatoo. But you, um, no, that's true because you, sometimes you have to act, you have to act the, the, the way. And you will have other things that you can add to this list. And you can have different things. You could have, it doesn't have to be a P list. It can be a B list or a C list. And it can just be whatever works for you. Just experience God. Find God. And that's when you're going to find your faith. Look, I made it. See? Isn't that something? <laughs> Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, as we spend time here, I pray that we feel the Holy Spirit in this room. The Holy Spirit is, as Christ called, the advocate. Help us to experience that and to feel that. Help us to put our faith into practice, to strengthen it. Help us to believe the unbelievable, to, to relish the mystery, and to find strength in your presence. And then help us to go out there and be that messenger of God to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, what do you think of the new glasses? I got new glasses. Yeah. I, uh, that's, you know, they were much more expensive. I needed bigger applause than that. But thank you. Now we can write them off. All right. <laughs> It's funny, I, I, uh, I bought new glasses and I shaved my, my beard off at the same time and it was always shocking when you see something that looks different. But I realized, now I can, watch this, Clark Kent, Elmer Fudd. So. Sorry, that's the best I can do. Uh.